millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Hosodathon, the podcast that corresponds with the films of one of the world's greatest animation directors, Mamoru Hosoda. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I'm in the bag. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Mamoru Hosoda. Hello, Steph. Hello, Michael. We've reached the end of term. How are you feeling? I hope you've bought your teacher some nice presents. We're going to play some board games. We're going to play with the smart whiteboard. Bit of snakes and ladders on there. <laughs> going to be a lot of fun. Have you had a good time at the Hossadathon? I've had a great time. I was imagining this more like a marathon because of the Hossadathon wordplay. So I'm imagining, you know, crawling to the end, getting a little juice and biscuits as a reward for finishing a juice and biscuits a nice participation medal for us all exactly i hope so uh michael how yes have so you we've, felt? we've we've done the marathon this is the the, the adrenaline still running but it's the come down we're on the tube home with the medal around our necks and everyone's looking at us saying what why they're here in in their spandex <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Has there been a marathon today? Is that why the trains are, are, are all delayed? <laughs> There's three, three strange people that have got some, some anime style gold medals that they've clearly made for themselves. <laughs> just riding the tube back and forth, waiting for people to talk to them about Bell. Well, we don't have to wait much longer for people to talk to us about Bell. So today. As is customary for our mini-series, we have the mailbag episode and we've got some wonderful listeners who've sent us correspondence to read out about the films of Mamoru Hosoda. But that's not all. We also do have his early works before The Girl Who Leapt Through Time to talk about briefly. and We'll, we'll touch on them. That, that includes his work on Digimon, One Piece, episodes in the Ojimajo Doremi series, as well as the super flat monogram ad campaign that he was a part of as well so we're we're, we're just going to tick off some of those final things and then hear some wonderful overarching statements from listeners maybe we should kick off with some do you want to open up the mailbag jake what have we got in yeah there? well there, i think there's there's a big important question that uh we have to raise at this point before we go any further and that's from nikolai who says hello ghibliotech team if it's not too late to submit a question 
for Mamoru Hosoda, what is the significance of whales in his films? There's at least three times they appear. Could be more that I'm forgetting. Thanks, Nikolai. Well, Nikolai, I hope you listened to last week's episode with the man himself. <laughs> so you got to we got to ask which obsession is bigger, Hosoda's obsession with whales or our obsession with Hosoda's obsession with whales. <laughs> yeah. um, so we've got four whales. Uh, maybe there's some lingering in the background. There are other appearances of whales, um, but there are four films in which they've appeared. And so we've got... In Summer Wars, the two whale guardians of the internet, John and Yoko, uh, we've got the kaiju whale that uh, swims underneath Shibuya in The Boy and the Beast. We've got the little whale crackers that Kun puts on <laughs> Mirai. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the lovely sound system whale <laughs> in Bell. And, yeah, the fact that we got to talk to the man himself about his whales. What a dream. <laughs> That is so cool, uh, p- particularly after Hayao Miyazaki and his connection with whales of a different kind <laughs> in the Ghibli Attack series. Of course, Wales the country. Now we have whales. He said that they were sort of like beasts. They were outsider kind of animals, weren't they? Representing mm. something magical and outside of normal society, which is fair, I suppose. Yeah, they're good whales. Uh, so yes, Nicola, I hope that that satisfies you and you heard that on the interview if not go back and listen to it but before we dive into his earlier works uh we've got some wonderful thoughts on bell uh so if you haven't seen it at the cinema just yet it, it is out now so go and go and watch it if you can if you're in the uk or if you're elsewhere in the world uh go and seek it out however you can because it is wonderful and we've got some very very lovely thoughts on it absolutely we have an email here from sean garrity who says, I was lucky enough to see this recently at the wonderful Warwick Arts Centre. Used to be your local, Steph, was it Warwick Arts Centre? Yeah, great cinema. Sean continues, not being a gamer, I struggled to engage with Summer Wars, so I was a little anxious that Belle would be more of the same from Hosoda. How wrong could I be? From two minutes in, I was swept along and totally into this film. From the Ghibli-like real-life settings to the magical world of you, even the songs were incredibly catchy and had a Eurovision feel to them. I was totally enchanted by this film and can't wait to see it again on the big screen. It's one of the three best films I've seen in the past six months, along with Flea and Mass. Great time for single word titled films, for sure. <laughs> Sean signs off with, can I suggest a miniseries on the films of Makoto Shinkai, please? Keep up the brilliant podcast, Sean. Oh, Shinkai. That's a good That's a good point. You know, if we're going to look at after, we've done Ghibli, done Toshikon, we've done... Mamoru Hosoda, what are the oh. filmmakers have a similar body of work that could withstand yeah. in, <laughs> our in, nerdy in, approach? In the Garden of Pods, uh, podcasting with you. <laughs> Five podcasts per second. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, Sean's been watching some good, good stuff. And hopefully there's some uh, exciting flea stuff for him on this podcast later as well. Yeah. Any other emails in the mailbag about bell uh we have one from rossio q he says hello again Ghibliotech from sunny los angeles california oh hello <laughs> i'm overjoyed to listen to your hostage film podcast series mr mamaru hostage is my favorite director wolf children was the first film i happily discovered of his 
However, three of his films, The Boy and the Beast, Mirai and Belle, have an extra special place in my heart because I had the tremendous opportunity to experience in-person Q&As for each film at the Animation is Film Festival in Hollywood. Last year, my dearest friend Judy and I attended the screening of Belle at the festival. Just like previous times, Mr. Hostel was gracious and thoughtful to offer such wonderful analysis about his film. Belle is his masterpiece thus far. I cannot express how fortunate I am to experience my favourite director's films on the big screen, with the addition to have him to be present to do great intros and Q&As. He's an incredible director. Thank you, Bibliotech team, from all the fantastic work you do. So thank you, Rossio. Oh, very nice. And yeah, a great film to just see on a massive screen uh, and to get some que- some questions answered by Hossider at the end. Absolutely. amazing. I'd love to go over to the Animationist Film Festival at some point. They, they seem to always have a good programme. Yeah. Well, and if Rossio or listeners haven't heard it, I'd point people back to our episode with Domi Shi, the director of the Pixar short Bao and the upcoming Pixar film Turning Red, uh, who tells a great story about her excitement about meeting Mamoru Hosta in the flesh and I feel like Rossio would have that same kind of extreme excitement (laughs) is it time to get digital oh Digimon digital monsters Digimon are the champions Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, I, I need your help, Jake and Steph. <laughs> I was just the wrong age, I think, for Digimon. Mm. Um, so, I this the, watching our war game, as we have done for this episode, which was one of the specials. It was a 40-minute special that Hossida did for Digimon. It was my first experience with Digimon full stop. Of course, I knew that it was happening in the background. Funnily enough, 
I was reading Matt Alt's great um, book on Japanese pop culture, Pure Invention, and there's a whole chapter about how Japanese fan culture um, created the infrastructure that's now being used by the alt-right online. And there's an amazing eureka moment he clearly had when he found that the very first article that Milo Yiannopoulos wrote for Breitbart was about Digimon, <laughs> the politics of Digimon. <laughs> but I've, but I, my, my awareness of it is still quite low. So because at that point I was probably watching stuff more on Cartoon Network than on kind of kids TV. Um, probably like Tenchi Moyo and Dragon Ball Z at that point. So, Jake, were you a Digimon fan as a kid? I was not a Digiman. No, um, I was not even a Digi boy. I was into. Pokemon, the TV show, Pokemon the film, but not like massively into it because uh, I was I was into like Simpsons like much earlier from like six I guess and that was like what the kind of stuff I was pursuing more American stuff. But I liked Pokemon and I liked the Pokemon video game, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before about the the, the how how these anime uh, titles got divided up across the platforms. And that Pokemon was the was the best video game, Digimon was the best TV show, and Yu-Gi-Oh was the best card game. Um, but I never broadened my uh, horizons enough, really. Uh, it was Pokemon, and then the occasional Digimon when there was nothing on TV. Uh, and I I quite enjoyed what I saw, but I didn't really get it, unfortunately. But the theme tune, as you heard a couple of minutes ago, has been lodged in my mind uh, for however many years. What about you, Steph? I'm the same. I never, I really can't remember ever watching Digimon. I watched Pokemon quite a lot. Um, I enjoyed the the Pokemon friends, like had little Charmander hair clips and <laughs> various merch. But yeah, no, Digimon like never really reached me. I'm not really sure if it's because it wasn't on like a channel that we had or I just maybe glazed over when I saw digital monsters. Um, but yeah, no, so this is like the first time that I've probably sat down and watched, you know, 40 minutes of Digimon. So They're so good straight. mon. <laughs> <laughs> they are good mon. Well, we're talking about this because of the Hossida connection. He directed our war game and He's been talking about it a lot in interviews for Bell. Everyone says, oh, so Bell, is you picking up your themes around communication in the age of the internet um, after Summer Wars? And he says, well, I think you'll find this is the <laughs> final part of a trilogy of films that I've been making over the last 20 odd years about our growing connection with the internet and our growing lives online. And he points to our war game, which we should say in English speaking territories, we never got as a 40 minute special. We got it as a as a as Digimon the movie, part of that they splice together a couple of specials to make um, a feature length um, release. But at what point, Jake, when you sat down to watch this, do you realise this is absolutely one hundred percent a Hosoda joint? Like a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> like. I think like, the opening is like two kids on their computers and the, those gags around like, the little quirks and details of how emails work. And we've said before how detail oriented he is, but he's even at this point, he's fascinated by the kind of the foibles and language that comes with new technology. And, and then from there, we're into a, a mass download virus that 
takes over loads of computers and then gradually appears on a screen and that's that's summer wars and it just it's it's so summer wars it's it's so hosada it's amazing how much stuff uh is is here that he's just clearly obsessed with but like steph did you you agreed there like you 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 must have been straight in seeing this just as the summer wars draft one i mean yeah i don't want to like sound reductive of it but it is basically summer wars like a practice for summer wars like the plot the the way that they kind of defeat the the virus the bad digimon um all of the kind of entering the digital space like it's very very much that and i kind of enjoyed it more maybe because it was like more simple and shorter and maybe a little bit there was less less characters and less to kind of spiral outwards and, and mess with the plot um it was yeah. fun it was really cute <laughs> i think that, that there's some really good stuff there i think it you can tell right, that it is part of this wider world which makes for some kind of frustrating asides for the the new viewer i suppose there's lots of characters who are given little scenes and you think i, I clearly i meant to care about this but i don't at all our two central mm-hmm. lads and their their digi battle is great and like that's the heart of the film, and I think Hosted knows that. Like that's why he's not spending time with any of the other characters. Um, but mm. I suppose that might also be it's frustrating on our side as viewers because we're kind of getting a wink and a nod to something we don't know anything about. And then if you're a Digimon fan, are you then also frustrated as well because you're being shown characters that you care about, and then they're given <laughs> nothing to do as well? So I'm not sure on either side of the viewing experience whether that actually works um but from our side as hosseter fans yeah there's so much stuff like as well as the digital world stuff which not only as an idea is so similar but visually is so similar like that spherical void space that's white that has that the central creature in the middle and all these bits of neon color is so somewhatsy um but little bits like the way that he has that kind of dragged out freeze frame style of comedy that appears at certain points like when there's the girl who's at the birthday party and the kids in the background are just frozen out of uh, shock because she's <laughs> dared to answer the phone um yeah michael what what did you reckon i found this so wild i was just laughing i was like pausing it every 30 seconds or so to just laugh at the detail and so with some we said it with some wars how summer wars came out just as iphones were coming out however really in the last say 10 years from where we are now 2022 technology hasn't really changed 10 15 years maybe you'll still have smartphones you'll still have in, you know laptops and computers connected to the internet you'll have wi-fi things like that this being made in 1999 to be released in 2000, the, it might as well be the Dark Ages technologically. And that's what's so wild. So you actually have literal Windows 98 desktops mm. all the time. You have email when e- email is <laughs> you know, not, hasn't been superseded by any other form of communication. You have pages. You have satellite phones because no one has an actual mobile phone. Most of the people are using landlines and using dial-up. It's just absolutely wild to see him you know you, you really get the sense that um he sat down and in that way that we characterized him uh, he has been characterized by collaborators as being full of ideas and he'll always come to a meeting with a big list of ideas to pack in he was really thinking very hard about how people use the use computers but he could see that actually at that point in time as we probably all did back then 
there were these limitations that were very apparent to this vast potential of the online space and the digital world because all it takes is a blue screen of death as happens at one point and then you won't be able to avert the apocalypse which i think is amazing and there's this one these wonderfully quaint views of what a virus that goes through the phone lines can do so it would be maybe this virus will will um get into a till in a supermarket and add a few extra zeros on the end of your bill. <laughs> like, it's like this, this lovely, accessible mundanity of it, which makes yeah, it absolutely. all the more plausible, which is what we saw in Summer Wars, where it's like, yeah. uh, it's going to cause a traffic jam. <laughs> but I, I love that stuff because it's really, you know, as you said, Jake, there's a lot of like the lore and the world and the characters and stuff. A lot of lost has been enjoyed there. But I love how... It's just packed and crammed with ideas. Like, what if you were visiting your grandma in a village where there's literally one computer that's not been turned <laughs> on for a year? <laughs> and you'll have to get the the guy from the barbershop to ferry you around to, to get that computer hooked up. Or what if the voicemail is full and you can't get hold of your friend because they're on holiday and there's an actual postcard in the post and that's the only time you realise they've gone on holiday. Things like that, just how slow communication was then. And that's why these films uh, with Summer Wars and Bell, it works so well as a trilogy of films just showing how fast and instantaneous communication has become in 20 odd years. And then this encroachment of the internet into our lives and our lives onto the internet which is just fascinating to see across these three it is great that in a way society has caught up with Hostada or like, he's just like kind of been perfectly maybe in line with our experiences because at this point yeah computers are a bit niche and nerdy and so his in his desire to tell that story is has to be told within the parameters of a niche and nerdy TV show. That's how you can do your thing, Hosoda. And then as they get bigger and bigger, you've got something like Summer Wars, and it's not a, not a big budget thing, and it doesn't set the world alight, but it's enjoyed by a, a much bigger audience. And now we're at Bell, and again, it's the same story over and over again, but now everyone is online all the time. It's going to hit an audience that is that size. Uh, and I'm looking forward to like what he does in 10 years when he, when he goes into a pitch meeting and he says, listen, it's about some people that go inside the internet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's also lovely because he does, he, 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 he's always had that optimism. He, he's always aware of the dangers of being so connected, what that could mean, what it leaves you open to. But he also just sees the simple joy of receiving an email from somebody in America or from Singapore or from Berlin saying, hey, good job, guy. <laughs> I'm rooting for you, which is you know, actually not, not too dissimilar from what we're doing on this episode with the mailbag. <laughs> we're bringing together this vast international network of, uh, of Hossida viewers and sharing uh, our thoughts. Yeah. Um Oh, and it is like I know we we have a tendency to almost talk like we're filling in a Hosida sticker album, but like within this one we've got like that the virtual world with the big white void and the red line running across it, which we then see in some wars, and then we see in the guy who's left through time, and we see in Bell, and in here we've also got that the motif of the ticking clocks, which we get in the guy who left through time, and we get in Mirai again, and I know that like people joke about directors like David Lynch just constantly remaking the same film over and over again but in a way it is true with Austin. like there is just so much stuff that he's clearly obsessed with uh that 
goes so far back in his career. Well, I think like you said, because the internet is like catching up with him all the time, I guess, he can just kind of go back to those ideas and they'll be different mm. depending on where we are with technology at the time. There'll be an audi- a new size of audience who can uh, mm-hmm. discover it. Mm. But, and, but he's always so aware of how that is just a component of lives that we still do lead, lead in the meat space it, mm. it, out in the world. So, so many wonderful montage sequences or bed sh- bedding shots of the tower blocks of mm. the world of skies of planes fl- going through a blue sky with a dappled with a couple of clouds just really wonderful that even within a 40 minute short he finds time for that and i think that's actually a good route into i don't think either of you had the chance to watch digimon the movie the um uh bodlerized western version where they mm-hmm. pr- pretty much rewrote the script bunched together three separate specials one of which wasn't directed by Hosoda which took place with different casts of characters at different points in the Digimon timeline and is headache inducing and one (laughs) of the things they do is whenever there's a sequence like that where um, there's a montage sequence where it's like a a tower block and the lights are being turned on and off by the virus or it's the crossing where all the lights are being turned on and off the traffic lights Whenever there's a moment like that in the Western version, that's their that's their needle drop moment because they just can't trust a film for kids to have thirty seconds of of just background noise. So that's when they'll drop one week by Bare Naked Ladies, <laughs> all my tune. best friends, all my best friends are metalheads by Less Than Jake, another big tune, or the Rockefeller Skank, which might be the most oh, yeah. nineteen ninety nine song. Was that was it Rockefeller Skank that was FIFA nineteen ninety nine's menu music or something around then FIFA ninety eight? But yeah, very very much <laughs> the <laughs> most football head Michael emerging. Th- this was taking me back because this is like very, very you know yeah childhood for me mm. even though i missed this at the time or like tweenhood for me all those desktops it was crazy well, and, but yeah. and crucially smash mouth as well all star by smash mouth uh, exactly we'll be hearing about that shortly but we do have a couple of emails about digimon the movie and digimon our war game so i'd like i'll read the first one so this is Luca, who's at Made by Luca on Twitter. When it comes to Hosoda, I was 12 when I was first introduced to the girl who through time, but it was Summer Wars that really consolidated my love for his work. I grew up in Italy watching Digimon on TV before school, and that's what sparked my interest in anime. When I discovered that his two OVAs set the ground from which the show was created, I thought it all made so much sense. Fox's Digimon film is part of my childhood, and I'm very fond of it, but watching Hosoda's original cuts gave me a deeper understanding of him as a director. In our war game, you can see some of the proto-elements of his later work, such as the importance of human connection, friendship, family, his strong curiosity towards the potential of online communities, and also stylistically, as he first introduced the endless white space with colourful line arts as well. I do agree with you on his tendencies put too many elements in his stories, but the one thing that makes him a great director for me is that no matter how high concept and overcomplicated his films can be, what truly stands out is how he keeps his characters deeply human, even when in non-human form, and the importance of the bonds we form with others, from a small family dynamic to a vastly broad digital community. So in conclusion, my Hoss order would be Wolf Children, Summer Wars, Belle, Mirai, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, The Boy and the Beast, but the two Digimon films will always have a special place in my heart outside of this. Thank you for the series. You're officially my favourite podcast. And I look forward to the new one. Hopefully, Mamoru Oshii's intimidating filmography. Best wishes, Luca. Oh, gosh. 
So that would be, of course, you've seen Ghost in the Shell, Jake. We talked about that, I think, before on this podcast. I'm very jealous that you got to see it recently. But he's a guy who did did anime series, made features, and then in between all of his anime features, he made live action as well. So <laughs> most yeah. of which have never been released over here. Like he made a film in Poland <laughs> that I don't think's ever been released I think in the UK. When, yeah. When- when we can make Ghibli take our full-time jobs, maybe that's when we can tackle Oshi's filmography. <laughs> but who who should we give the final word on Digimon to? Oh, well, it's got to be to well, someone with a title that far exceeds ours. A, a doctor. Dr. Sam Summers uh, of the wonderful Disneyversity podcast uh, is going to give us the final word on Digimon. Hi guys, I've been loving the Hosodathon miniseries, but I must say, I was a bit aghast to see that you weren't devoting the whole episode to the Digimon movie. I'm sure that you're going to do it justice in this roundup episode, but I had to chip in to sing its praises a bit. I mean, its influence on Summer Wars is well known, but now having seen Bell, it seems even more significant as part one of this trilogy by Hosoda about how we use the internet. And watching all three, together you can really see how each movie encapsulates how the internet worked and how it was understood by the public at a particular moment in time. For example, the climaxes of all three stories involve internet users from all over the world banding together in a show of mass support for our heroes. But the level of their immersion and involvement increases with each instalment, like in Digimon, thousands of civilians send emails to the villain, which overloads him so that the heroes can win. In Bell, the thousands of onlookers are actually there in the digital world, participating in her climactic performance. And in Digimon, the digital is given form as these monsters, these kind of autonomous alien things that the kids engage with, that they fight against, fight with, that they grow to love, but creatures that they don't fully understand, they don't fully control. By Bell, the monsters are all people. They're created, they're these avatars that express our inner and our outer selves. So taken together, these three films really show us how the internet has developed, and more importantly, how our perception of it and our relationship with it has changed over time. Having said that, in a weird retroactive way, the American dub of the Digimon movie is actually the most accurate portrayal of the internet out of any of these films, and that's because it prominently features Smash Mouth's All-Star. And of course, that's now utterly associated, especially online, with a later animated movie, the DreamWorks masterpiece Shrek, and I've actually written a book analysing Shrek, and there I talk about how in recent years the grumpy ogre from the movie has taken on a new life as this chaotic trickster spirit who embodies the anarchic madness of modern internet culture. So what I'm saying is, I think he would be the perfect villain for the next Mamoru Hosoda film. It's so great to have a bona fide all-star on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sam. Listeners, go and check out Disneyversity. They're doing something you know, in a similar ballpark to what we're doing, but they've got a much broader canvas and a much bigger job on their hands. They're going film by film through the uh, library of Disney animated features. Where are they at the moment? They're in the 70s, aren't they? Just I about. think we might have just tricked over. Was it? The Black Cauldron was recently, or at the time of recording it was anyway. Yeah. So who knows where they are now, but do catch up on that show. Lots of fun. <laughs> Thank you so much to Sam. So now we have next another film 
spinning out from a long-running series. I've said in the past that my absolute weak spot when it comes to anime is like long-running series like, and I always say, One Piece. Because <laughs> 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 he made a, he made a One Piece movie, also didn't he? Yeah. This is, I mean, you could just say, you know, my one weakness in anime is One Piece because there's like a thousand episodes, <laughs> right? And I think it's like held up as one of, yeah, the longest running huge manga and anime series. Um, but this is like actually a really fun film to jump in at. I've never seen any of the One Piece anime. Um, I've seen like One Piece memes and just kind of like clips on YouTube. <laughs> um so I kind of like had a sense of, you know, who the characters are, what it looks like, um, what the vibe is. It's basically a group of pirates that have magical powers. Um, Luffy, who's like the little boy in the straw hat, has like really stretchy arms, um, which is very fun. I think like the main thing is that it looks so different from like what you it would expect the anime to look like. Um, it's very Hosoda. It almost looks like Masaki Uasa in terms of character design it's very kind of um well i guess it's kind of like early hosoda work it's very girl who let through time the characters are very kind of like wavy and there's not really many straight lines um they're very 2d and cartoony um which yeah gives it like this really distinctive look um and yeah it's a good i think a good place to jump in if you haven't seen any one piece because you don't really need to know anything to enjoy the movie so they're pirates right in yes. one piece is do they have yeah. the internet <laughs> <laughs> not not in this film maybe they do in other films it's one of those weird things where um i'm pretty sure there's a shot of a guy on the beach like with a phone <laughs> at one point or like with like a nice bottle of wine that looks very modern but it it's not like a specific time period. Michael, I um, I think I think because they are pirates, there is a a reading of the film <laughs> that could suggest uh... that the our internet void space in One Piece is the sea <laughs> of the online world. Hmm? Potentially. But but Steph, Steph, so you'd you'd recommend this sort of as a dipping a toe into One Piece, but. This came at a sort of step in Hoster's career where he points to his early works, like like the Digimon movies and the TV show we're about to talk about, as inspiring his later films. Is there anything in One Piece that you can see in his other films? I think um, it was good to watch the Digimon uh, War Game and this kind of back to back, and then think about something like The Girl Who Liked Three Time, where. Um, a lot of that like physical comedy comes through in the animation and the character design. Um, it's really funny. Uh, it's very slapsticky. It's very like quick. I think that editing like really makes some of those jokes work in like Digimon this and like a lot of his other films. Um, but there's also a lot of that kind of, yeah, like typical Hosoda, like blue skies. There is also not a whale, but, a goldfish that's the size of a whale that they have hey, to catch. Let's add it to the so, thread. And you get that, like, I feel like there's been, maybe just in Boy and the Beast, but the big kind of shot of, like, the whale leaping out of, mm. of the, the water and doing, like, its big arch. Yeah, you get that, but it's a big goldfish with um, armour on and big teeth, which is quite fun. <laughs> so I guess, like, it kind of sits outside of 
the rest of the the Hossida stuff. But I do think it's a very like Hossida movie mm. um, in terms of like maybe not in terms of like recurring themes and images and motifs, but in terms of kind of character animation and and story and yeah the the kind of rhythms I guess that you expect from a Hossida movie um, very much so. I would rec- I think you guys would enjoy it. I think definitely. Mm have a go that sounds that's interesting I, I will seek it out i will definitely recommend what we're going to talk about next which is an episode of a not as long as one piece but a long running <laughs> series called ojimajo doremi um that hosada made called doremi and the witch that stopped being a witch so a bit of context for that series it's a magical girl anime jake i don't know if anything we've watched so far would be classed as magical girl but it's like one of the major subgenres of anime think of sailor moon for example mm. um and this the, tw- the twist on this one is that they're, they're they're very little and they're basically going to like an elementary school for witches and incredibly cute but then and it's their hijinks as they're learning to be witches um with their very very big eyes and very high-pitched voices um and then right in the middle i think it's uh, like 100 episodes into the full run but it's the 40th episode of the third series, which is called Ojimajidori Mi Dokan. Suddenly there's this episode called Dori and the Witch That Stopped Being a Witch that Hosoda wrote and directed. And he has said that's essentially the blueprint for the girl who let through time. And it's just an incredibly thoughtful, existential, kind of quiet episode where the main character becomes friends with an older lady who was once a witch but decides to give it up and become a glass blower and to experience the world and travel the world but what is the name of the person who is older? Well, i'm sure he sat down and said so this <laughs> so, so this uh, is a character who's related to time travel and time and the future maybe <laughs> so yeah this character is called mirai <laughs> flash forward but this is one where i'd read about how this episode was the blueprint for the girl who through time but there were so many aspects both subtle and overt that you could see you could draw a line mm. between this and go through time particularly the relationship between the little girl witch and this more chill older character was very similar to the relationship between the main character and the girl every time and her aunt who was watching mm. once a time travel and it's like been there done that seen the world i'm so wise <laughs> that's uh I'm, I'm just going to sort of be, be riley amused by you and all your energy um what, what do you make of this jake well i suppose what's interesting when when he's having to do these shorter things like with our war game or this tv episode he's not having to get bogged down in the law because he just doesn't have the time and it's quite funny thinking that the girl who that a few time is quite a short film and our kind of complaint about it wasn't again it, it adds on all these mechanics and everything to try and explain how it all works and that's what uh, is a bit of its downfall when it gets to the third and this d- doesn't need to concern itself with that i suppose because it's it's trusting that the audience has already gone on 99 episodes with these characters so you don't need to fuss about all of that and so it felt like a more of a meditative piece and doesn't have the chaos that I suppose those early hostel works have as well, um, where everything needs to be thrown in and the kitchen sink. And this didn't really need that. And it was quite funny as to reference the sticker book of Hostador again to mm-hmm. to draw those parallels between the girl who let through time and this as well. In particular, that recurring shot of the 
the literal crossroads in the two characters' lives, which has almost been like control C and V'd across uh, the t- the two editing projects. Yeah, he probably used the same storyboard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly for it. And in the girl who let through time, it's sort of used as a sliding doors kind of thing. Like, which is she going to go with the guy that she wants to kind of tell that she, that she has a crush on, or or no, it's the guy who wants to tell her he has a crush on him. Oh, is she going to go the other way? Whereas in this, it's like one route takes her home and the other route takes her to the older witch's house. And it's more just... It is, it's crazy because he really wants the audience who are so wrapped up in the idea of magic and being witches and he, he really wants to suddenly pause and give them this metaphor for life. Like, sure, school is really overwhelming and crazy, but what are you going to do with your life? Life is so exciting and crazy. And there are these moments where um, in the older witch's workshop, she's looking at photographs and stuff and she's getting letters in the post and she's talking about traveling the world and meeting people and these connections that she could have that she'll collect through her life. And it's just this moment where Hoster, who at this point had not had kids, had not settled down, was still a young man, clearly wants like a younger audience to be like, you're going to have such a cool life and you're going to meet so many people. It might seem crazy right now when you're at school. And it's like weirdly profound. It's something that he's not really done in a similar way, maybe. You can see it, elements of it in Wolf Children, Boy and the Beast, Mirai, about the connections you make through your life. But as you said, Jake, without having to create the story world around it, he can just be so direct in mm. terms of the metaphor. It's really profound. Yeah, and it looks really lovely. Like the, there's a softness mm. to it uh, that you don't really see other than in the flashback bits of Mirai, uh, where he returns to that almost a, a sketchier, slightly watercolory feel. And it's nice to see him working in that space. Absolutely would recommend digging this out if you can. Uh, so that's Dora Me and the Witch That Stopped Being a Witch. Episode 40, I think, of Ojimajidorame Dokan. <laughs> Not just Ojimajidorame. It's kind of a tricky one to track down because there are so many different titles involved. But Jake, you mentioned about him working best when he's got a short runtime. <laughs> What about a one or two minutes of runtime? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about Superflat Monogram, which was an ad for Louis Vuitton, and it's so good, and it's like it's so him. You know, again, within a matter of seconds, it's so obviously him. Um, we of course uh, travel into a <laughs> virtual internet void space that's white and has a long line around it uh yeah yeah again again but um (laughs) but there's not really much drama to this it's just uh just what if you got sucked into the internet and uh there were lots of lots of colorful creatures and you could take selfies with them and then uh you got thrown out of it and then uh you find out that it was all real and not a dream Mm. (laughs) lovely very very lovely um great 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 flip phone as well I think this is the only time in his career where like a character actually gets sucked into because they have like she's actually like it suggested she's being sucked into her phone mm. in that moment and it's, this is interesting because he's working with Takashi Murakami who is um, the like the primary exponent of super flat aesthetic which is a sort of pop art um, wave of Japanese art in the I think it's actually pan-asian art actually in like 1990s early 2000s and 
it's actually one that's quite complex because there's lots of different artists with their different aesthetics but one aspect of that is exactly what we talk about with with um Hossida's films where it is lots of block colors or a use of negative space that flat um lack of detail in the characters that he uses a lot in his online worlds and this is sort of part of the exchange he works on superlight monogram with murakami and then murakami inspires aspects of um summer wars online world and you can really see that back and forth so it's interesting to see this is a key moment in the sticker book of him looking outside of animation to draw Mm. inspiration that he'll then bring into animation and will seem like it's always been in animation all along yeah and and it's not just uh an, an aesthetic thing I, we are seeing here uh, that the, the joy of sending emails of connecting with people uh, and and what the internet can do for interpersonal relationships uh, even just a short time frame and it's just silly creatures and taking photos with them but it, it's so innocent and joyous and it's all totally silent as well and we've mentioned his skill as a filmmaker kind of beyond language and you absolutely get everything that's going on here. No one needs to have anything explained. You have this quite kind of cartoonish, like like video gamey type soundtrack that made me think of the um, the Wii Shop music. <laughs> um, and it, it's a little silly, but it's it's just very very lovely. And if you've got four minutes or so, go and check it out on YouTube. Sorry, Jake. You saying the joy of sending emails? Yeah. I have not had that joy for a very long time. I wish I could go back to the joy of sending emails. This you is taking start, you back to um, MSN. Accidentally, like, putting kisses at the end of emails. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, the Superlight Monogram advert, which is which is funny, is because this was um, premiered online however many years ago, a dozen years ago now, um, the actual uploads look like they were shot on a potato. Um, we can put this link in the show notes maybe but there is like one fan who has taken that and tried to like upscale it now to actually look okay (laughs) to our modern eyes but it's something funny as well about how literally built into the distribution model of a hostile film is something that will decay and degrade as as technology gets better this does not look as good as it used to but thanks to that fan who's uh, done done their good done a good job of upscaling uh, but now we have to go even shorter. So we're gradually working our way down this filmography from the feature films through to the, the OVAs, through to the TV episodes, to the advert, and now just to a title sequence. Uh, so this is the opening to Samurai Champloo, which is maybe not the most obvious connection to everything else that we've seen, I'd say. Not at all. So this was one of the series I watched you know, avidly when I was uh, in my late teens, um, that was one where my girlfriend at the time would come, you know, was, was at uni and would come back with recommendations from the uni's anime club. And Samurai Champloo is definitely in, in the mix there. And this this is a series from Shinshiro Watanabe and his, his crew and you know, series like Cowboy Bebop. And he's one of the few like anime auteurs, you could say, and like all of his series have like a, a vibe and aesthetic you can draw between them so to find out that Hosoda did this because what the the vibe of this opening titles is what if samurai but hip-hop <laughs> and like did you spot anything Steph or Jacob that's kind of Hosoda style within this or is it sort of just a, a gig for him because he was in the building 
Yeah, this was like such a surprise to find out because I've watched Samurai Champloo quite a lot. Like, obviously, seen that opening credit sequence like so many times, and like would not have thought, hmm, this is very Hosoda. So like, it's quite yeah, quite a surprise. But I know like sometimes directors do, yeah, direct like opening credit sequences on other shows, um, either like under a different name or just kind of for fun, I guess. Um, so yeah, this is quite a surprise, but. Kind of yeah. makes me love it even more. I I feel like that must be quite nice if you're a director and you you're kind of aware that you have your own style and the things that you're interested in to have that total curveball opportunity. If someone says, "Do you want to just ditch all of that internet stuff, all of those whales, <laughs> uh, and just come and do a sequence for hip hop samurais?" Yeah, I'll give that a try. And you never know what creative. Uh, itch that might scratch or what relationship that might open up i suppose um but i have i have not seen the show uh so I, oh my I god we've, we've we've absolutely got to make you make you see the show one day that would be really fun but yeah what a, what a quirky credit to have thrown in there at the end yeah. after after being able to draw those connections so well between all of them we end on something that brings a bit of mystery to the story <laughs> <laughs> But that brings us kind of pretty much to the end of the sticker book, where you filled out everything. I don't know how. What? What? what how do we? How do you? How do you extend that metaphor? Um, is there any swaps that need to be done? Uh, I think that we've we've checked off all of the metaphors that we need to. Um, if we were to give any of our continuing metaphors the uh, the reward of becoming a shiny, uh, is that a whale? a shiny whale card is the winner um i don't i think that's the the thing that we've enjoyed the most mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay but so, we do have some i mean if, if you're talking about swaps i suppose we are still swapping some ideas for the pick sticker book can't we very good yeah <laughs> with with a, a final couple of emails from the mailbag We have a, an email here from Natalie Ung, who is... We've had uh, correspondence from Natalie before. She sent in a voice note for our chronology mailbag episode. Um, Natalie works at the Asian Film Archive based in Singapore, and it's always great to hear her point of view. She posted uh, in the middle of our miniseries her collection of the, the film programmes for all of Hossida's films, uh, which is you know, quite an amazing collection. Um, so this is what Natalie has to say. Hello, Michael, Jake, and the team at Ghibli Attack. I am thrilled with the way Bell has been received. It is a testament to Hossida's constant growth as an artist and filmmaker that he's still showing continuous evolution in technical mastery and how he tackles his favourite themes. There is an enduring fascination with technology, the passage of time, and communication throughout Hossida's work and throughout an enduring humanist quality. The sci-fi and fantasy genres can often be flashy, cold, and distant, but Hossida's work always manages to be deeply moving, grounded and human, while pushing boundaries technically. On an emotional and human level, Bell and Summer Wars move me immensely in its earnest belief that the internet and virtual world has allowed for many of us to be freer, explore hidden buried parts of ourselves and communicate and connect with people we would never have been able to before. 
I watched Belle in a period of my life while I was still healing and still am from a trauma that I found difficult to share with others. The arc of protagonist Suzu's journey healing from the trauma of the loss of her mother reminded me of the way the internet has brought myself and others experiencing the same trauma together. And together we are healing, comforting each other and now laughing once more. It is said that sometimes through performance we confront the most true parts of ourselves. Belle was always a part of Suzu and Belle gave her courage and strength to help others and through connecting with others, heal and find joy again. Hosser's earnestness and positive outlook of the internet may come across as precious and naive, but in actuality, he offers the most nuanced and insightful commentary about the digital age in cinema, addressing the dangers of children on the internet, mob mentality, capital-driven punishment, and moral policing on the internet with both humour and tact. I'm very grateful that more people are discovering Hosseda and his body of work. His films show you that you do not need to compromise or simplify your writing and themes in order to touch a wide audience of all ages. With Bell, he suggests that through greater self-exploration, communication and community building via the virtual world, there is hope and possibility for redemption and healing for those who are lost and alone. Wow, that's an amazing email. Thank you so much, Natalie. We're going to send that straight to BAFTA and the Academy. <laughs> no, really, that's a wonderful email. Thank you, Natalie. Yeah, and I love her mentioning Hoster as a humanist filmmaker because I think a more spiritual, religious side of his work isn't something we've really talked about. And because it's not really there in the way that we might initially think of stuff in a, in a spiritual way. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I think that that's actually quite radical in a way as well I, like the 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 connection here is always between people and between like tactile things and is always in the realm of possibility uh, even in something like the boy and the beast which is of course more in that fantasy space uh i don't think like any there's, there's no kind of omnipotent force in any of this which i really mm-hmm. really like well, not not to start me off again, talk about how Bell resolves so beautifully, but that's exactly how he ends Bell. It's about people. It's about this humanist quality. Yeah. I, I think that maybe certain film audiences who don't know animation, don't know anime, or don't know this sort of storytelling mode can watch something like Bell and just be dazzled by it all and think there's nothing beyond the dazzle, the razzle-dazzle of it, maybe. Um, but no, it really is there if you dig. Yeah. Well, and also... D- Digimon R War Game is a it's a Darwinist story because the, all these it's it's pro evolution all all the time. <laughs> Everyone's saying how good evolution is, and then uh, but perhaps it, there, there's a queer reading in there as well because the the grand finale is solved by when two mon two men <laughs> come together <laughs> to join forces and become one, uh, and. What is that? We we need to get you to watch Dragon Ball if that's what you're taking from. <laughs> if that's what you're taking from Digimon. <laughs> so we've got one last email from Carlos. Steph, take it away. Sure. So Carlos says, hello, Steph, Michael and Jake. In the Bell episode, I was very interested in what Steph mentioned about the symbolism of peaches throughout Hossida's films. I'm a big fan of small details like these. One such little detail that I'm amazed by is related to the names of his characters. For instance, in Wolf Children, the name of the mother is Hannah, which in Japanese means flower, a name her father gave her, inspired by flowers that were blossoming the day she was born. And in similar fashion, Hannah names her children Yuki, which means snow, and Ame, which means rain, because it was snowing the day Yuki was born and raining when Ame was born. Interestingly enough, later in the movie, 
Two very important events in the lives of these siblings occurred during a snowy and a rainy day. Then, of course, there's the case of Mirai, Kun's sister named Mirai, which means future. When Kun meets the future version of his sister, he calls her Mirai no Mirai, literally Mirai from the future, a fun play on words that's also the original title of the movie in Japanese. But I think my favourite one is Belle. When picking her username, Suzu chooses the name Belle because that is what her real name translates to in English. Of course, it's then mentioned that Belle, with an E at the end, is a better fit for her. Also, at one point, the five ladies from the chorus tell Suzu that only bell crickets, which in Japanese are called suzumushi, sing while hiding themselves. There's also the interesting choice of the word unveil when revealing someone's true identity. I think this is another play on words. In the original Japanese dub, bell is pronounced beru and unveil is pronounced as unberu. So at the end of the movie, bell is unbelled. I watched the movie with Spanish subtitles when it's released here in Mexico a couple of weeks ago. They decided to translate Unveil as Desvela, which is Desbella, and the play on words works too. On a very different note, Michael mentioned that the great director Coriada said that if he were to make an animated movie, it would probably look a lot like Mirai. I found it quite interesting that the deaths of Suzu's mother and the brother in Coriada still walking are quite similar. I know Coriada's work might fall outside the realm of Ghibliotech since it's not animation, but I believe he has similar sensibilities and approaches to narration and movie making as those of some of the directors you've talked about so far, especially Takahata, I think. So I'd love if you could talk more about him and his films in future episodes. Regardless, I look forward to whatever you do next. Best regards and lots of love from a long-time listener from Mexico. We've had a lot of emails from all over the world oh, for this so nice. mailbag. Spanning and what a fun extra recommendation for a, a non-animated director potentially a good one I, uh, he is he is my favorite filmmaker or at least one of them and still walking is one of my favorite films that's an amazing connection to make because the the that scene in still walking happens off screen it happens way before the action of the plot but we do see that um in in bell wow interesting well, and shout yeah. out to all the translators out there. I, I, that, that's the sort of thing that blows <laughs> yeah. my mind, some of that stuff. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> to be un, unbelled. What an amazing thing to happen. Um, we could, I wonder, would we ever do a live-action filmmaker? Well, so we've had the suggestion of doing Celine Siama before, um, mm-hmm. who is a filmmaker I'd love to cover. Um, and there is animation in there uh, with My Life as a Courgette. Um but with Coriada, it's a stretch to suggest there's any animation in there. <laughs> but I do think he's definitely coming. So one of the threads of the Ghibli tech so far is animation animation filmmakers do not consider themselves animation filmmakers. They consider themselves filmmakers and they're drawing inspiration from everything. And they're just using their pen, their pencil, their Santique tablet to just as, as, as their camera. And, so many of the threads that we've talked about all the way through, about Hosoda, about Satoshi Kon, leads, uh, they're leading us directly, it's attack out as well, lead us directly to live action. So um, it is true that if we did do Koreda, we'd end up making a lot of connections between what he's done and what some of his compatriots are doing as well. Hmm. But I do love his films, and um, I would really recommend... Maybe even off the back of the Hostathon, going and watching something like Shoplifters or Still Walking. I think they and even and like Father Like Son is the one I think the Hostathon said that he enjoyed in particular. Nobody knows. 
but well and for other connections i would watch our little sister for more of a, a the ghibli feeling uh to it mm. and then oh, afterlife for the satoshi Kon film i suppose oh man just, <laughs> he, he, that's nothing the reason why we make ghibli like as well we know that there are these filmmakers who just they have a small body of work and they're all gr- good or great in their own way no clangers in there and creator is somebody who gosh so at least a handful of five star films in his film filmography so far. But wow, even in the course of this Hossadathon mailbag, we've had three recommendations for filmmakers that we could cover on the podcast in the future. But listeners, the sky's the limit, really, where we're concerned. Who should we cover next? So far, we've had Satoshi Kon, we've had Ghibli, we've had Memory Hosta, we've had Cartoon Saloon, of course, the non-Japanese company that we covered on here. So really, we are open to suggestions. Uh, who should we cover next? Send us an email, ghibli at little.studios.com. We're also on Twitter at ghibliatech, ghibliatech.pod on Instagram if you prefer something more visual. Let us know what you make of the Hossadathon. Let us know what we should cover in the future. We'd love to hear from you. And thank you so much for listening to us blather on microphone for a few months. <laughs> it's been a whale of a time. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, yeah, if you're not sick of us after these eight weeks, you can, of course, follow us individually on Twitter if you want to, too. Steph's over there at underscore Steph Watts. Michael is there at Michael J. Leader. And you can follow Jake at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is by Anthony Ng. And the show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.